Amen. Amen. Well, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to turn there. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you a Bible. Anybody need a Bible? A couple places. Keep your hand up so they can see you. Right up here. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep this one as a gift. First Timothy chapter 3. We're going to do the whole chapter today. Um, I entitled the message Serving 101. You're, you're kind of like in a college class right now. Because uh, we're going to be looking into how God expects leaders to act. And, um, and those that are in ministry. So... A lot of times you hear people say, you know, oh, I, I don't read 1 Timothy, I don't read Titus, I don't read Philemon, because those are, those are letters, to, those are pastoral epistles, and I'm not in ministry. If you're here today and you're born again, you're in ministry. God didn't save you just for you to stop there. That's just the beginning. And so if you're a child of God, you're in ministry, and everyone who got saved by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord Jesus himself has given you something to do. Now, whether you're listening to him or you're not, you should be listening to him. He desires obedience. And when he calls you to do something, he will equip you with the resources and the power and the wisdom to do that job. And so don't ever underestimate Jesus. Don't put him in a box. He wants to use you. You may not feel worthy. He would probably say perfect because now you won't get in the way. So it's, it's, it's God that wants to work in you and through you to bless people. And so we have a short window. Jesus is coming soon. And so we need to like understand the roles for men and women in the church. And we got to understand what God expects of us. Amen? Now we're going to do the whole chapter, but I actually want to open up with just reading verses 14 and 15. Okay? So go to verse 14. Here we go. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for this, Lord God, that you are a sure foundation and your word is, is solid. It's truth. It's alive and living, the Lord. We just ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you could speak to us right now. Give us ears to hear. Lord, I pray that everyone here right now is praying in their heart for cleansing. Lord, cleanse us of, uh, of anything that we've done wrong, Lord God. Uh, uh, cleanse our minds and our hearts, Lord God. We want to receive your word today with as pure a heart as possible. And so I'd ask that you pour out your spirit in this place and move in this place and transform lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Serving 101. Now, last week we looked at uh, the roles of how men and women should act in church. Uh, we discovered last week that women are not to be pastors. That's biblical. Women are not to be elders, uh, but women can be deacons, deaconesses. And that there's, there's overseers, there's pastors, there's elders, there's deacons. And last week we looked into how uh, we should be acting as men and women in the church. And he, he 
he w- mentions to the guys about uh, praying everywhere, lifting up holy hands. And I thought that was interesting because he doesn't say that to the women. Because the women understand love better than men and their desire for Jesus many times is much more committed to God than men. And it's just so easy for a woman to be singing worship or praying and lift her hands to where guys are like, well, I'm not doing that. Looks stupid doing that. Guys raising their hands, you know. And that's why God says to you, men, raise your hands. He doesn't say it to the women. It's funny because in the marriage, God tells men, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. But he doesn't tell the women. Why? Because women know how to love. Now, when you look at the Scriptures and you see what it says about leadership and the, the order that God puts in the church, it's very similar to the order that He puts into the family. And, and you, we can't get all upset if we're not happy with the order. We know in the family it's God first, husband second, wife third, then the kids. That's the order. Now, like I said last week, women could be smarter than men. Women could be better at business than men. Women could know the Bible better than men. But the danger that we talked about last week was the women usurping the authority that God's given to the man. Ladies, God has put you in a certain situation in the order in the family and in the church because you are valuable to God. Because those are areas that you excel at in such an amazing way that we need you. And he puts men in certain positions because this is the order God set up. And so even though a woman could be more qualified, she needs to allow her husband to lead so God will bless their family. It can't be the wife first, then God, then the man and the children, you're out of order. It can't be children first, then your spouse, then God. It has to be God, husband, wife, children. If you try to do it any other way, you're fighting God. And it's the same in the church that God has given positions to women in the church where they, they shine so amazingly. And we got to be okay with that. Because I know sometimes, because of the culture, uh, some women get upset when they discover that the Bible says women can't be pastors or women can't be elders, but they can be deaconesses. And if you fight that, you're trying to break down the structure of the church, the order which God has set up, and, and a church like that's going to have problems. And so, we looked last week that the difference between men and women, they're, uh, duh, they're so different. And, and over the years of doing counseling and marriages, I think one of the things that, that husbands and wives don't realize is how different their spouse is. That sometimes ladies expect a man to be so sensitive and understanding, but he's not wired like that. I, it doesn't make up for not being that way, but you know what I'm saying? And, and women can like say, you know, he, he's just not sensitive. 
He's just, he doesn't care. He's just like, he's, he doesn't show his feelings. They're guys. To where women show their feelings. Women are sensitive. Women know how to love and care for others and children and their spouse. And, and, and men are just, they're weird. You see, I shared last week that when God made woman, He made woman from Adam. Not from the dust of the ground. Adam was made from the dust of the ground. Eve was made from Adam's side. And God took everything out of Adam to make Eve. So everything that Adam wasn't was now in Eve. Does that explain it? She got the sensitive side, the feelings. She got that motherly instinct. She got that love. She is everything that Adam wasn't. He is everything that she wasn't. And then when the two come together, they become one, and that unity is brought back together in the marriage of a man and a woman. And now, men, you have a feminine side. That's your wife. But until you get married, you don't have a feminine side. Amen? Amen? Okay. I better keep moving here. Um, we need to understand that women and men are different. Men are like, give me... What's my, what's my goal? Where's the target? You know, uh, where do I go? I, point A, point B, get it done. And to where women are more creative. Kind of explore a little bit more. Men, I got to just get out of this altogether, don't I? <laughs> Let me just say this finally. Um, when I go to, uh, when I've gone to conferences like Pastors Conference, we had like 900 pastors, senior pastors. It's amazing. It's like three days. They're all praying. We're all on our knees praying. 900 pastors praying. I mean, it's powerful. And it, and, but we would be there for three days and we'd have breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the dining hall. And we'd have these huge tables that sat 10 people. It's a round table, 10 pastors, all senior pastors. And, and the thing I notice is when you go by each table, one guy would be talking and everybody would zero in on that guy. And then he'd stop, someone else would talk, and they'd go, and they'd watch that guy and listen. And, and then he'd stop, someone else would talk, and he'd go, we'd all go like this. And, but that's not the case with women. You put 10 women around a table, they are all talking at the same time and they know what everyone is saying. <laughs> They're so different. So God gives us different ministries in the church, different ministries in the home, and He set it up in a way that if we do it, we're going to prosper. It's going to be good. And so here... He instructs overseers, which can be elders or pastors. And we need to understand that every pastor is an elder, but not every elder is a pastor. Does that make sense? So he's giving us instructions for the overseer. He says there in verse 1, he says, This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. So 
Uh, bishop is the episcope. It's in the Greek. It means overseer. Elder is the presbyteros in the Greek. And pastor is simply a shepherd. So he says here that if you desire the position of a bishop, he that desires this desires a good work. So what does that mean? Good work. Good refers to excellent. Work refers to difficulty. So he who desires to be a bishop desires an excellent difficulty. Because it ain't easy being a pastor. Because there's always somebody that loves you, and there's always somebody that hates you, there's always somebody that's happy with you, and there's always somebody that's upset with you. I mean, the best part about being a pastor is teaching, marriages, baptisms, and dedications. The counseling, don't like it. The hospital visits, don't like it. I wish I didn't have to go to the hospital, but, we, you know, sometimes we have to. It's, it's an excellent difficulty, pastoring a church and, and trying to keep a church on track. Um, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I felt like quitting. I was just like, man, I don't, I don't need this. And then I'd repent, and I'd sign back up. But sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes we feel like we're pushed to our limits. And sometimes people can be unruly and hurtful. And it reminds me of the, the story where um, the guy got up on a Sunday morning, and he was like, I ain't going to church. And his wife goes, get ready, you're going to church. He goes, no, I'm not going to church. Why aren't you going to church? I'm not going to church. You're going to church. No, I'm not. Why? Well, nobody likes me. Well, you're going to church. I'm not going to church. Why aren't you going to church? He goes, they don't like me. She goes, you have to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. And now we're going to go into um, what that description of the overseer, the elder, the pastor is, verse 2, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, ap able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules over his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. So now we're seeing the requirements for an overseer, for a pastor, for an elder, and it's good stuff. So first off, he says that they should be blameless. Now that doesn't mean perfect. There's no, nobody's perfect. Jesus is perfect. We're not perfect. Uh, we're going to make mistakes. But what it means is that that person should have a heart for the things of God. That, that person, even though when they mess up, they do the right thing. They make it right with the individual that they messed up with. They make it right with God. They have a heart after God, and they want to seek God and do everything to please the Lord. That's what they're talking about. Above reproach. Um, you may be blamed for a lot of things. I know... 
in past years, I was blamed for a lot of things that weren't even true. And the idea is, though you may be blamed for a lot of things, make sure it's not true. People are going to talk. And I'll tell you, you, don't even engage the battle. I mean, social media is the worst. People jumping the gun, saying things they don't know anything about, uh, trashing people uh, without thinking it through and, and actually getting faxes. So uh, we, we, need to, we need to be set apart from the world, guys. You're in ministry, whether you're serving in this church or not, you're in ministry, and, and God wants you to be set apart. So he wants you to act in a way to where uh, people would look at you and say, you know what, they're blameless, they're good people. Um, it says here, the husband of one wife. Um, doesn't mean if you're single, you can't be an elder. Doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean if you've been divorced before. I mean, uh, we know that, that God allows divorce when there's infidelity, um, and, and that certainly happens. Uh, people have gotten divorces. God forgives, um, and he still wants to use you in the ministry. So if you get that thing right and you do what's right, uh, we can continue in ministry and service for the Lord. Um, some people say if you're single, you can't, you can't be an elder or a pastor. It's interesting that um, the Catholic Church says you have to be single if you're a priest. Uh, I don't know where they get that from. They say Peter was the first pope, but Peter was married. So I don't know how that works. But um, you, you can be single. Paul was single. Paul, Paul probably was married because he was part of the Sanhedrin, but we don't hear anything mentioned of his wife uh, when he started his ministry. And maybe that's because she died or she, she divorced him because he had gotten, uh, he'd gotten saved and became a Christian, and that was an offense to the Jews. So uh, we don't know. But uh, Jesus was single. Jesus didn't marry. So... Um, the office of bishop is a great thing. Uh, we want to represent God as well as possible. And then it says that that person needs to be uh, vigilant, um, King James, and vigilant, temperate. What's that mean? That means temperate in all things, uh, someone who is watchful of what's going on around us, someone that's well-balanced, level-headed. Um, then it speaks of the, um, them being sober-minded, and it doesn't have anything to do with drinking. It, it means someone who has a serious attitude towards the position that they've taken. And then it says that an overseer, a bishop, should be uh, one of good behavior. That means if you're going to get into the ministry, you need to behave. And then he says that he should be given to hospitality. That means just a love for strangers and, and to reach out to those in need. Uh, apt to teach. Every, every elder, every pastor should have the ability to teach. They should be ready to teach and, and at any time. And then it says that the overseer should not be given to wine. That phrase in the Greek means not sitting long at the cup. Not sitting long at the cup in excess, okay? Um, can a Christian drink? You don't know, huh? Yes. Can a Christian get drunk? Okay, you knew that part. You, you can't. I've seen pastors over the pulpit say that Christians can't drink, and, and I've had to rebuke one before. And, and it's simply because it's not biblical. You can't teach 
You can't teach lies. But the reason that most Christians don't drink is because they don't want to stumble somebody or they don't want to be a drunk because drunkenness is sin. Now, if you're here today and you're an alcoholic, you can't drink because you don't know how to stop. But there's nothing in the Word of God that says that a, a believer in Christ can't drink. It just says you can't be drunken. Now, do I have the right to go out to dinner with my wife and have a glass of wine? Oh, wow, you're, you're interacting now. But is it profitable? No. Because I guarantee you, if I went out to dinner with my wife and I had a glass of wine, there'd be 50 people from church there Instagramming me and Facebooking me, go, yeah, pastor! And, and I might have somebody there that's struggling with alcoholism and they see me and I cause them to stumble and they go home and just tie one on and pass out, black out. See, it's, it's, it's not worth it. I did a wedding once, and a ton of people from the church. And they were doing the toast to the bride and the groom, you know, and the waiters are going around, they're handing out champagne glasses to everybody, and they handed me one, and, and everybody's standing around, the guy's speaking, he's saying the toast and everything. But all of a sudden, I just felt like everybody was looking at me. And I was like, you know, like half of them were looking at me like, that's my pastor, yeah, pastor, show him your liberty, you go, bro. And then these, this other half just had like this horrible look on their face like, don't do it, pastor, don't. And I don't think anybody was looking at the bride and the groom. Because we toasted, and it was like everybody just went. And I just set my glass down because it wasn't worth it. I don't want to stumble anybody. Next, he says that an overseer uh, is not a striker. That's King James. What's that mean? That means if you don't like your job, you can't strike. No, I'm just kidding. It means not violent. So it's like, I, as a pastor, I can't go around punching people. I mean, I think there's exceptions, but I mean, like, if I saw somebody trying to harm my wife, my kids, my grandkids, or your kids, I think there's enough Rambo in me and you'd be okay with me punching that person in the face. But I'm not, it's not to be like a common practice. I, I, I shouldn't have like gossip going around that man, he, you know, he drops in on people in the water, punches them in the face, and you know, hitting people you know, at the Nui and you know, things like that. So um, not violent. It says that an overseer shouldn't be greedy for money, filthy lucre. Um, Money should never be the reason you go into ministry. Um, I really have a lot of respect for pastors that work outside of the ministry to support themselves because they're in it for Jesus. Um, I'm really offended by some of these guys I see on TV that make 10, 20, 30 million dollars a year off the church and they're always on TV and they're begging for money. I hate that. We will never beg for money in this church. I, I, I understand making a need known uh, for people to pray about, but we will, we will never beg this church for money. We'd rather close the doors and run out of money than to beg for money. We figure where God guides, He provides, and He's going to work in the hearts of the people to give. Um, but I'm really offended by these guys. Like when you turn on uh, a 30-minute program, five minutes is about Jesus, and then 20 minutes is about your wallet. 
um, you need to change the channel. If, if, you know, I know people are watching on the internet or listening to this service. It's like if you're in a church where they're always begging you for money, you, you need to go to another church. Uh, you know, these, these marathons, these telethons, you know, and oh, so-and-so just gave 5,000. Who will be next? It's like, oh, stop that, please. Having thermometers, we're almost to our goal. Stop it. Stop it. It's an offense. The love of money is the root to all evil. God doesn't want us to be greedy. But you know what else is greedy? And I have to say it because it's true. It's when you don't give. When you don't give, that means you're being greedy with your own money. God gives us things to give to further the kingdom. And you need to understand that God wants you to support the, the fellowship that you're in. Now, I don't want you, this is not a carnal pep rally to get you to give. I'm just speaking truth to you. And I'll say this right up front. If you don't give at this church, find a church that you believe in and give there. Because God tells you to give and to support. So find a church that blesses you, you're getting fed, and get behind that church. That's what God calls us to do. And so we don't want to be greedy because everything that we had was given to us by God. And we talked about this a few weeks ago that when God gives you something, it's for you to distribute so he can give you more, so you can distribute. If we hold on to it, we become greedy, and now we can't be used by God because uh, we, we don't release. We're, we're kind of a catch-and-release type ministry. Whatever he gives us, you know. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, God ain't giving it to me. Well, maybe he's not giving it to you because he can't give through you. And I, I guarantee you right now, with that said, there are people in this room right now who, who God's putting on your heart to help your neighbor. God's putting on your heart to help uh, a family member. God's putting on your heart to help maybe the church. God's putting on your heart to help a mission field. God's putting these things. Listen to what he's telling you. We need to be known as a people that aren't greedy for money but see the importance of investing in the kingdom of God. It says an overseer should be patient, gentle, uh, not quarrelsome, not a brawler. I mean, um, this isn't about fighting. This is, this is, I mean, this isn't about physical fighting. It's more about the verbal fighting. Um, we all know people in the world that all they want to do is argue about everything, right? The, we all know people like that. I mean, you know that whenever you get near them, they just want to argue. Uh, there's people in the church that always want to argue about the Bible. They, they're not encouraging people. They're not pouring into people. They're always pointing out the faults that everybody's doing. They're, they're not encouraging at all. And, and God says that we, we shouldn't be like that. He says that they shouldn't, an overseer shouldn't be covetous. And that's not just coveting money and things, but it's also coveting, coveting authority and position, popularity. In verse 4, it says that he is to be one that rules his own house well, having his children in submission with reverence. For, every, for, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, 
How will he take care of the church of God? So um, a pastor should have his house in order. An elder should have his house in order. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that his, if his kids mess up, he's got to get out of uh, ministry? No. <laughs> you got kids, you got a mess, right? I mean, kids, kids are kids. And unfortunately, a lot of times, people are harder on a pastor's kids than they are on their own kids. And, and I remember in years past, uh, one of my kids screwed up, and this lady was telling me I needed to step down from ministry because I wasn't ruling over my house. No, I, I lay down the rules in the house, and everybody abides by the rules. And when you break the rules, there's punishment. That, that's, that's running your house in an orderly fashion. It's the same thing like this. If, if we kicked everybody out of church uh, for, for messing up, that we, that we would all, none of us would be here. We, we, we pour into that person. Here's the guidelines. This is what you do. This isn't a place to pick up on chicks, and it's not a place to pick up on guys. If that happens, that's great, but if you're just here to hunt for someone, we're, we're going to get a hold of you real quick because your heart's not for Jesus. You're just looking for yourself. Um, and so uh, it says that, that he is not to be a novice in verse 6, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same uh, condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so um, an overseer, a pastor, is not a novice because if you appoint somebody too quickly, it's really dangerous because they can get puffed up with the title. I, I personally, I'm not interested in titles. I don't need a title. I'm just Steve. I mean, people call me Pastor Steve. I get that, but I don't... I don't I was never like, you know, I, I am a pastor. No, I, I'm not like that. And I, I tell you what, I get really uncomfortable with people who call themselves the prophet so-and-so or apostle so-and-so. It's like, ooh, that's just always really weird to me because I've never met one of them that wasn't prideful about their ministry. And I don't know why they needed to be called an apostle or a prophet. Um, uh, it, it, and pride comes before the fall. And so um, there's a there's a danger like we've all known people who were the humblest people until you gave them some power. Right. And you gave them some power. and They just like change. You're like, whoa, take that power away. Get back to being humble. Um, there's a real danger when someone gets appointed too quickly that it goes to their head. And so um, verse seven, that they should have a good testimony, um, a, a pastor, an elder. Uh, you want to know, is he the kind of guy that pays his bills on time? Is he a man of his word? Does he have a good reputation in the community? Is, does he commit to the job that he's taken? That's, that's really important in ministry. If, if you take on a position in, in ministry, you need to fulfill it because you're not doing it for me. You're not doing it for Calvary Chapel. You're doing it for Jesus Christ. And, and so I want to give God my best. And it's not for us to uh, drop the ball on our ministry um, an overseer uh, uh, elder should be a man of integrity now we get to deacons it says verse 8 likewise deacons must be reverent not double-tongued not given to much wine not greedy for money um, holding on to the mystery of faith with a pure conscience I thought that was interesting um, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. 
deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. It means servant. It means servant. Deacons are to be grave, reverent, worthy of respect, worthy of imitating. Not double-tongued. They're, they're not someone that says one thing and does another. They're not caught up in gossip. Um, not given to much wine. I thought that was kind of interesting because it said overseers not given to wine, and then it says deacons not given to much wine. And I thought, that explains it. That's why we have more deacons than we have elders. Not greedy for filthy lucre or for monies. So we, we basically covered that already. Uh, verse 9 says, Holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience, but let those also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons and being found blameless. What's the mystery of faith? The mystery of faith is, mystery means something hidden that's now being revealed. And so we know that in the Scriptures, uh, the church, the Old Testament believers didn't know the church was even coming. It was a mystery that was revealed after the resurrection. Uh, the church, that the Holy Spirit would dwell inside every believer. Um, so it, it means that a deacon should be someone that knows sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. That's why you need to know your Bible. Um, he should be tested, not a novice. We already talked about that. Blameless. Doesn't mean perfect. Uh, someone that's worthy of respect because they are Christ-like. They imitate the Lord. Now, verse 11 is kind of interesting because it says, likewise, their wives must be reverent. Um, King James says, likewise, must their wives be reverent. New King James says, likewise, their wives must be reverent. The, the must be and must there is in italics. So that means it doesn't belong there. It's trying to help the sentence flow better. So, what is it speaking of? It's actually speaking that there's a responsibility for even the wives whose husbands serve in the church. But it's also letting us know that if you just read it without the italics, um, it would say, likewise, wives, reverent. There are women that are deacons. And I know some churches have a problem with that, but if you look at the Scriptures, you'll see that that's true. Romans 16.1, Phoebe was a deaconess. She delivered letters for Paul. She served in the church. He said, help her, assist her in, in her ministry. Uh, there was at least six women mentioned in chapter, uh, chapter 16 of Romans who are, are, are servants, are deaconesses. Um, it says that women... Those women, those deaconesses, should not be slanderers. Now, that's a new word. We haven't heard that one yet for the leadership. Uh, the word is diabolos, where we get the devil. Um, the devil is a slanderer. And it's interesting that he says that to women, because I think women can tear each other up more so than men do. Um, and Okay, I should move on right there. Okay. Um, they are to be temperate and vigilant in all things. And then verse 12, let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own house well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. So let the deacons be the husband of one wife, okay? 
And, and that's because in those days, um, they, they, in those days in the area of Ephesus, they, they had more than just one wife. Okay? And Paul's saying that, that we can't have that in the church. So in those days, it was known for a man, and women had no rights, and it was known for a man to have a wife to bear his children, a mistress, a mistress for excitement, and a concubine to meet his physical needs every day. And Paul's saying, stop that. Okay? And uh, wives weren't allowed to divorce their husbands, but husbands were allowed to divorce their wives. So he, he makes a statement here. They're to be the husbands of one wife, ruling over their children and their house well. So just laying down uh, biblical truths and principles in the house for your kids to follow and, and keep those rules. But I love what he says there at verse uh, 13. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing, great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what we want? I mean, don't, don't, don't we want people to look at us and see Jesus in us? Don't we want to get before the Lord and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? You know, there's rewards in heaven. There's rewards in heaven. You get rewards for your obedience unto God and to answer, answering the call. And we will be rewarded in heaven for serving well and and we won't our awards our awards won't be rewards won't be of um the results of what we did because sometimes god will call you to do something and you don't see the results amen and sometimes he calls you to do something you see a ton of results you're like wow look at all the fruit this is amazing but sometimes he calls me to do things and i don't see any fruit and i don't see any results so he rewards me based on my faithfulness. And I want to ask you today, is God speaking to your heart? Are you responding? Are you being faithful to what God is telling you to do? And then we get to verse 14. It says, These things I write unto you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar ground of truth. And so everything we just read is how we should be conducting ourselves as servants, as ministers, as pastors, as elders, as deacons. But I tell you what, if you're a believer here today with a pulse, this is, this is an amazing guideline for all of us. Because I hear people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not in ministry, so I don't need to read these pastoral epistles. No, this is great stuff, because if you do everything that's listed here for elders and, and pastors and deacons, you're going to please God. You're going to be a blessing to folks. You're going to be a light that shines bright for God's glory. And men are going to see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven and not you. And so this is all good, basic, 101 serving. Good instructions. He says, he talks about how we're to conduct ourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Now, I thought that was interesting that he, he mentions the church as this great pillar because he did that, I think, because in Ephesus was the great temple of Diana. It was a very perverted worship. Um, the temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of that day in, the, in that time. Seven wonders of the world. It was a huge 
uh, temple. It was some 342 feet long, so longer than a football field, some 164 feet wide. It had 127 pillars that went 57 feet high. 127 pillars that were all made out of shiny marble covered with gold and jewels and precious gems and gifts from different kings to the worship of Diana. So by him saying that the church of the living God was like the pillar was very impactful when this letter was read before the Ephesians because the church is to be the pillar in the world. And how should it be? ground in the truth we need to stand on the truth guys the truth will set you free we need to not only read this bible but to obey it trust god he's worthy of our praise and then he finishes it off in verse 16 and he says without controversy great is the mystery of godliness for God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. So Paul is writing down these instructions for overseers and for deacons, and then all of a sudden he just kind of like reflects back on it, and he kind of just busts out into song. And this is actually one of the early historic songs in the early church. It's, it's a song of praise. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, and received up in glory. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Austin, put some chords to that. God manifest in the flesh. God, creator of all things, came down, born of a virgin. Guys, get your head around that. Are you kidding me? Manifested in the flesh, fully man, fully God. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ. The Word, Jesus Christ, was with God. And the Word, Jesus Christ, was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That would blow your mind if we really think into it harder. And how much so for like the angels? says he was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the Spirit. He was qualified in the Spirit. He was justified in the Spirit as the Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant with the Messiah, the Creator. He was justified and qualified when he began his ministry when he was baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit descended upon him to start his ministry. He did what he wanted you to do. He led by example. He was justified by the Spirit when he rose from the dead. Because Romans 8 says that the Spirit raised him from the dead. Scene of angels. Seen by angels, no doubt seen in heaven. But check this out. Did you ever stop to think about this? When Jesus maybe told the angels what he was going to do, they're like, no way. You're not. You're going you're gonna to come out of a woman? Think about that. Wait, no. You made everything. And now... By the power of your spirit, you're going to overshadow this young woman, Mary, 
and, and you're going to leave your place of glory and you're going to dwell in her womb for nine months? Think about it. Jesus kind of out of touch for nine months. And the angel's all going, whoa. Where's our creator? He said, Mary. She's about ready to have one of her third trimesters. It's all going down. Because remember, at the birth of Jesus, the angels appeared to who? The shepherds. And they said, listen, go see the Messiah. He's born. He's in Bethlehem. And remember, the whole heavenly host filled with all the angels from heaven. And they were all excited to see the Messiah come out of a woman birthed. They were like, here he comes. Wow. The excitement. Can you imagine? Jesus is about to do something he's never done. Oh my gosh, he's being born as an infant. He's coming into the world fully man, fully God to die for their sins. Emmanuel, God with us. And the angels were always looking into his ministry because why? Because he wasn't telling them what was going on. That's why angels are so interested in you. They're blown away that God would even use us. They're like up there going, God, send us. We'll get the gospel out. I'm going through Mark on Fridays, the gospel, and it's funny because every time Jesus says, don't tell anybody, they go and tell everybody. And then when Jesus says, now go tell them, they don't go tell anybody. God says, go out there and spread the gospel. We don't go. The angels are probably going, send us. We'll get the job done. And when Jesus rose from the dead, who was there? The angels. They're, they're looking into, they're like, they, they're looking at you because they are blown away because one day you're going to be transformed and you're going to be like the Lord, it says, because we will be like him and we will judge angels. And so right now we're, we're created a little bit lower than the angels, but one day we will be higher than them. And they are so blown away of watching how God works in us. Manifested in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles. The gospel has gone out, believed on the world, and then he was received up into glory uh, 40 days after he rose from the dead. Let me close with this. We want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want people to see me and see Jesus in me. I want to serve Jesus because he's worth it. I don't want to play games. Jesus is coming soon. And I, I want to encourage you with love that if he's calling you right now, would you please answer the phone? He wants to use each and every one of you. But here's the thing. Whenever you decide that you're going to go and do something for Jesus, it doesn't come without the opposition. Because the enemy knows if he can bring opposition and discourage you, you won't do anything for Jesus. You know that, don't you? That's why it's so hard to serve Jesus. Because, because when, when someone comes up to you and says, hey, you want to get involved in ministry? Oh, man, I just don't have the time. I'm really busy. 
You got to make time. Because he's worth it. Can you imagine Jesus standing in front of you? Hey, I want you to do children's ministry. Okay. But if Carol comes and says, hey, can you get involved in children's ministry? Oh, man, I'm so busy. Wow, wish I could. You know what I found? That whatever we love to do, we'll make time for. And so I guess we've got to ask ourselves in our heart, how much do we really love Jesus? Are you here today and maybe you don't have time for Jesus, but you want to make sure you're there when he takes the church out. I get that. And I understand it. We're all like that. But I, I'm, I think I'm speaking to myself right now because there's times that God's pressing me to do more, and I'm reluctant. How can I be reluctant to the one who loves me and gave his life for me? How could I deny the very one who gives me everlasting life? I can't. We need to pray for strength. If you want to be used by God more, pray more. Be committed to prayer. Amen? If the worship team would come forward. Um, guys, I want to see revival. But revival is only going to become when we are committed to be in a praying church, willing to be used by God on every level. And, and I, I got I to gotta say how blessed I am with this church because you guys do love to pray and you do love to serve. But I'm just saying, as for me, I can do more. And maybe I could say for you, maybe you could do more. Because I think Jesus is coming really soon. And I don't think we have any time to waste because there's people out there perishing. And God's sending you. You're the one that's going to reach them. So I wanted to end up on kind of like a happy note, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not discouraging you at all, I hope. I, I, I'm not discouraging you, am I? I'm trying to pour into you that, listen, God just wants to use you so mightily. And the fruit of the Spirit, check this out, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy. Someone that loves others. Someone, the fruit of the Spirit is someone that goes out of their way for others. And it's not about them. Because Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And He was the greatest example of a servant. Father, we thank You um, for Your example. And we ask that You would empower us, Lord God, to give us strength to do Your will, Lord God, to answer the call to make time for You. Oh, Lord, Help us to make time. Lord, we want more of you. We want to serve you. We want to hear well done. Lord, pour out your spirit right now on the people in this church, Lord God, and just excite them for you. Bring a joy that they haven't had in a long time and let them be other-centered. Lord, just pour out, pour out, pour out. Give us the gifts of the spirit to use to further the kingdom and to be a light that shines bright for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name.
amen. Please stand.